Ladies and gentlemen, this is your girl Mitzi, and this is Mitzi. Let's think about it. Today, I have a special guest, and we are going to be thinking about terrorism. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I might get my podcast and my website red flagged after this, but it's okay as long as we all get a better understanding of what it's like to be in a situation like that, what it really means, and the after effects of dealing with this, you know. And luckily for me, I was able to find an individual who actually experienced this firsthand and is willing to share his perspective on this. So I'm super excited to introduce you to Bob. Bob, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Hey, Mitzi. Thanks for, for having me. I appreciate it. And yes, 21 years ago now was kind of my life got flipped, turned upside down with illness and experience with terrorism, as you alluded to. And yeah, I would be glad to share and talk a little bit about it and, you know, hopefully provide some value for people. I think, you know, sometimes the most unexpected things teach you the biggest lessons in life. And that definitely happened to me. Yeah, most definitely. What was the terrorist act that changed your life? What happened? Well, in 2001, I think most a lot of people might be familiar with the terrorist attacks on, uh, on September 11, 2001 in New York City. I had moved up to college uh, shortly before that happened, about a month or so. I was in training camp. I was going to play college football. And my family is actually from New York. So um, I had moved from South Florida, where my immediate family had relocated to in the 80s. And they had decided to do that. They want to get out of the cold weather. And I was going to go back to college and play ball and hopefully get an education and get to know my family a little bit better, experience cold weather, which turned out to be something that I didn't like. That's why I ended up back in South Florida. But it's quite a story because in such a short period of time, I went from a healthy, seemingly what I thought was an invincible young 18-year-old athlete to kind of getting things turned around pretty quickly. I was in training camp and I thought I had what uh, we believe to be a groin injury. Now, I don't know if you've ever, if anyone's ever pulled a groin muscle out there, that it's a much underrated muscle or under yes. appreciated. It's hard to walk, stand, sit, whatever, lay down. I mean, it just, it's very, very challenging. No less run down a football field. And so in such a short period of time, I went from what I thought was this minor injury and my trainer called me out at one point while I was doing these rehab exercises. I would sit on a three-wheeled stool and have to shimmy across the training room, which in college is much different than a high school training room. And there's a hundred people in there. It's loud. It's I'm dodging people. And it was painful and hard for me to do. And at one point, the trainer, I stood up on a box and somehow it got quiet, or at least it felt like it. This little guy calls me out, calls me a weakling pretty much and says, I need to be back out on the field. And I was like, well, what are you talking about, man? I'm in pain. So I, he sent me to the doctor and I had a series of tests. I had all these long appointments driving around. I'm an 18 year old now in college by myself, although I'm technically an adult. And anyway, I had one appointment. It was the Thursday before what was going to be my first game. Obviously, we knew I wasn't playing in this game at this point. And I had this appointment. I expected to be there for another hour or two like I typically was. And the doctor sits me down and he just looks at me right in the face and says, Bobby, they would call me Bobby at the time. He's like, Bobby, you have cancer. And I said, what? That's crazy. Like, what? Could, how could this possibly have happened to me? I'm 18, you know? And I expected to be in the appointment for a long time, but I ended up walking outside. I was there for maybe 10 minutes. I walked out and the phone rang and it was my mom. 
my parents were on their way up. They had had this trip planned for months now, expecting to be going to my first game, but they had just landed and they called me. I expected to be in the appointment and I had to tell them, they're like, oh, so how'd the appointment go? And I was like, uh, well, about what happened. And obviously I had to tell them what the doctor told me. And I could just tell my mom was devastated. I could feel like the air coming out. They were in the car on the way to my uncle's house. And my dad was on the other side too. He hear what was going on, but I could hear him saying, Susan, Susan, what's going on? Like he could tell something was wrong. And so we, we met back at my uncle's house and, you know, we said a few prayers, shed some tears. I'm like, oh, what's going on? The You know, I was this invincible 18 year old and suddenly my world's turned around and a couple of days passed and my uncle's best friend came over his house. Now, this is a Saturday now. It was supposed to be my first game. Like I said, I wasn't playing, obviously. And he said to my parents, he goes, Bob and Susan, here's my keys. Take my car for whatever you could possibly need. You can have it for as long as you want. I can't imagine what you're going through with your son. And my parents were like flabbergasted. They're like, well, this is crazy. What, are you you're just going to give me your car? And he was only at the house for like 15 minutes and he just left. He's like, here, take it. Got to run. Say goodbye to my uncle and the family and he left. And we're like, wow, that's the most generous thing I've ever seen happen to somebody. And so the next couple of days went by. Now my oncologist had told me, you know, you got to keep taking classes or do something with your life. You can't just wallow in your cancer sorrows while we, we're going to treat you super aggressive form of cancer. Really glad we found it because you may not have been here very long, but I'm pretty confident we can treat it. And I was like, oh, that's good. So I went to my second ever college class on the Tuesday morning. So there's a couple of days after this guy, Tim, my uncle's best friend, dropped his car off. I come out of the class. Now I went straight to the cafeteria. I was hungry. You're going to get something to eat. Now, I don't know if you remember those bracket type of televisions that would hang from the yeah. ceiling. Yeah. It's like small little tube television. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the news is on. I don't know what the news channels are. The, the anchors, like, I don't you know. I'm just new to the area. I don't even know what the news channel is, but I'm watching it. And all of a sudden a plane hits one of the twin towers. Like I'm watching it live. I'm like, wow, what the, that's crazy. So I called my dad and he goes, oh, you know, are you watching the news? I'm like, yeah, I'm watching. Then while we're talking, like seconds later, bam, another plane hits the other twin tower. And we're like, whoa, what is going on in the world right now? So my dad's like, you better hop in the car and come back to your uncle's house. So I didn't even finish my breakfast. I just left and I got in the car. Now I'm in New York. So it would typically take me about 15 minutes to drive from where I went to school to my uncle's house. Well, Mitzi, it took me nine hours and I actually have a master's degree in broadcast journalism, but I will never, ever listen to nine straight hours of AM radio again. But I drove watching the, I can see the towers like burning in the distance because I'm, you know, I'm in New York. Yeah. Listening to this and it was like unbelievable experience. And I got to my uncle's neighborhood, ran out of gas in his neighborhood. We had a push the car into his driveway and we got back in the house and he wasn't even home. And my aunt was like hysterical because he was on business the night before in Denver and we couldn't get a hold of him. He was supposed to fly back to New York in the morning. Finally, it's like maybe seven o'clock at night. He calls and says, guys, I'm okay. I'm alive. We're all super relieved. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't catch my flight, obviously. And the phones have been out, but I'm safe. I'm in Denver. Hopefully I'll get home tomorrow. But he said, but unfortunately, Tim, my best friend who you guys met on Saturday, he was in the towers and, and he lost his life. Wow. And it was crazy. And so we thought about it. You know, Tim worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, which is an investment bank that had offices in the towers. 
and I mean, hundreds of thousands of people that work for Canada Fitzgerald passed away. They were all in the office at that hour in the morning. And it, they would donate office space to the foundation that my uncle has. He started this foundation when my cousin was younger because my cousin has cystic fibrosis. It's a respiratory immune disorder. And their best, their number one employee was the only one that, that would actually typically be in the office at that time was uncharacteristically late that morning. And she got stuck in the subway underneath the tower. And thankfully she got out. She's still alive today, but she told us some stories. And so we thought about that, what happened that day and all of in that just a, such a short period of time between my health and 9-11, the, the attacks and Tim losing his life only just a few days after doing something, an act of generosity that I've never experienced ever in my life to that point. And so you asked like what my experience was like, to be honest with you, it was such a blur that period of time that I really didn't, I mean, I healed physically and mentally within a few months from my cancer treatments and everything, you know, by December, this was early, uh, you know, this was around August that this all happened, obviously in September when the attacks were, but I got up there in August, it took me months to heal physically and mentally, but emotionally, Missy, I mean, it took years to really kind of work through all of what happened. So it was a really challenging time, but it was probably even more challenging years later. Yeah, I can most definitely understand that. It does seem like you just had situation after situation after situation come at you. And the fact that you were literally there in New York when it was all happening is surreal. Like I have family in New York and my cousin, he was a paramedic at that time. And he was there to serve the individuals who were still stuck in the building. And he ended up getting cancer in his lungs because of that, you know, the after effects of the ashes and everything. So he's still dealing with the effects of 9-11 still to this day. It's, it's it's really sad that a lot of people have their own little moments of that situation that really impacted the country and the world in a drastic way, in a real drastic way where I don't blame you for being numb for some time, you know, because that's what it sounded like, that you were basically numb after that happened because... How could you really pay attention to what's going on when all you're thinking about is surviving, you know, surviving your now and your surroundings, surviving your physical inside health and surviving just who you are, you know, so I couldn't even imagine what you went through. But I've seen that you really overcame this by not only changing your life, but you were able to also help other people and guide other people to change their lives as well. And I was looking on your website and it really seems very impactful and inspirational, like what your story is. And I'm sure other people have probably had went through a similar situation because let's be honest, 9-11 really affected New York City in a type of way where you can obviously see the, those towers burning down in any area, you know, the city is really small, <laughs> you know, yeah. the city is really small, despite how really big it is at the same time. So that's, wow. I did not expect to ha to hear that and have it impact me in, in this type of way. So thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. I, you know what? I think about it all the time. I, people ask me questions about it. Like, you know, would you change anything? What would you do? Do you have regrets? And to be honest with you, I would never wish the treatment from the cancer perspective on anyone. I mean, it was a super aggressive form. So my doctor, and he, plus he knew I was young and healthy. So I think he hit me pretty hard with chemotherapy and all that. Ultimately I, I talked about being a groin injury. It was testicular cancer and it had spread up to my abdomen. And so there was quite a bit in there, but I wouldn't want to go through that ever again. And I would gladly try to eliminate that because I do have, I have had a, a few minor side effects, but to be honest with you, the lessons and what I learned from the whole process, I don't think I could change that. I mean, it's really shaped my way and vision. And you talk about helping other people. I mean, 
generosity is extremely important to me. And it doesn't necessarily mean financial generosity or with your possessions. It could be your time, could be your influence or your knowledge. I think it's such an important thing because we never know if we have a story similar to Tim O'Brien where, you know, maybe our last opportunity to be generous was something huge, right? I mean, you really want to consider that. Yeah, exactly. And I guess my next question is going to be, how long did it take for you to kind of flip your story, to flip everything around for your life? You know what I'm saying? Because you went in a time frame that you were focused on recovering, we're focusing on medicine and focusing on all Mm. those little things, those aspects in your life. How long did it really take for you to finally like, flip the switch and start thinking in a different perspective? Two years to really start the process. And to be honest with you, Mitzi, I don't know if I'll ever be done with it completely. I think it's, you know, every day, I I literally think about this story every day. This is not an exaggeration. There's so many different other side stories and connections on the reason how I got through all of that. And now I thought at the time, that I was still invincible, that, it, you know, I was, nothing could take me down, not cancer, not terrorism. And I was going to be the greatest cancer patient you could possibly be. I mean, I did everything that my doctor would tell me. I mean, I drank the exact amount of water to an ounce, slept the exact amount of time to the minute, woke up at the same time every day, went to bed at the same time, ate the exact foods. Every food he told me to eat, I, I eat it twice. Every food he said, don't eat, I didn't touch. Um, but to be honest with you, it took me a couple of years to begin you know, to really get through the emotions of it all. And since then, think about that day consistently and periodically come up with different stories and ways and ideas of people that were with me along the way. And I don't believe I could have done it by myself, even though at the time I thought I was working through it by myself. And about two years later, I was a junior in college at this point. Uh, Thankfully, I was able to make it back on the athletic field, get back in the classroom and really build my resume from a professional perspective. But as you mentioned, really to flip my life around from a mental and emotional perspective. And I was able to do that. It didn't happen immediately. Uh, It wasn't like suddenly two years later, I remember the exact day. I do remember some specific conversations that I had with people, but it really took all of that time. And it's an iterative process. So to answer your question, in short, two years, but really it's been going on for 21 years, to be quite honest. Yeah, I understand that. And that makes perfect sense. You know, it makes sense in the fact that when you are dealing with trauma and when anyone's dealing with trauma, it is a daily practice. It's a daily work that you need to work on daily because those memories and those moments and that and those situations sometimes just come back at random moments. And you kind of have to like self-talk your way through and just Mm -hmm. to really be able to cope with life. And I think it's important that people understand that people always want a quick fix to fix their problems and their traumas and their situations and they think so many things will be the reason or the cause of when it'll all fade away but in reality it never does in my perspective I really don't and I think it's important that people heard it from somebody else's voice as well because it's a situation that people are dealing with now in Ukraine you know in the war and it's crazy to think about terrorism and just and cancer and just all of these life traumatic events and how it can really bombard you in such a way that really is life-changing. You know, people start to think a different way. People start to act a different way. People start to move a different way. And I think it's important that we all take this into consideration. And I see that you have your book, Personal Finance. How long did it take for you to get to that point to write your book? And what is it about, if you don't mind me asking quickly? Sure. So you may not be able to read the subtitle, but it's uh, Personal Finance in a Public World. And it's about how technology, social media, the digital ads, space of today affects how we make money decisions. 
And you talk about generosity. I've worked in the financial space for about 13 years now. And you asked how long and what it took to write the book. For many years, I worked for a large organization. We were really unable to do media type of stuff. So this podcast, radio, television, write a book. There just really wasn't really an option from a compliance and regulatory perspective. But I'd say for 12 or 13 years, I was picking up information and that all those years helped me write the book. So you could argue it took me over a decade to write it. But once I sat down, it took me about a year. Uh, I just recently recorded the audio version. The hardcover will come out soon, but right now you can get the ebook and the soft cover. And it was a great experience. And you know, you talk about generosity and using what you have and the skills that you have to make the world a better place. Those are the things that are really important to me. And they can be applied in many different ways. I mean, we all have different areas of work and skills and experiences. Mine happens to be in the financial space. So one of the things that I thought was really important is that when my business partner and I left our former organization, and it was on good terms, it wasn't adversarial or anything, it was just time for us to open up our own company. And we did. Once I did that, I realized my role as advisor would change a little bit. Now I'm you know, more of an owner and ambassador for our organization. So I don't get to spend as much time directly with people and families and helping them with these sort of decisions. And I realize that the digital age is upon us. I mean, we're living in it. I mean, look at we're on Zoom. We're in, the technology is amazing. I feel like you're in my, you know, right next door, but, or in the same room. And I wanted to be able to take technology and social media, the ways that we use it today and apply it as a positive tool in our financial lives. Because I think sometimes we consider some of these tools as negative. You know, people are consuming too much. They're buying too many things. There's ads everywhere. You know, they're retargeting. And I tell some really uh, impactful stories in the book about this. And so it's really about using technology and money as positive tools in our life uh, to help us just be better at who we already are. That's awesome. That's good that you're doing that. And I'm glad that you're doing that because people do need to see, you know, social media ads and technology in a different way. Yeah, there's cons, but there's a lot of positive aspects as well. And when we start to reframe our mind and not just in one direction, we are able to see the bigger picture of the issue. So I applaud you on that. Congratulations. That's awesome. And I guess to start wrapping up the show, what would be some great advice that you can possibly give myself or my audience? You want the financial stuff or the life stuff or both? Um, You could do a sprinkle a little bit of both. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, I, let me start with the financials since we're talking about the book. You know, people ask me all the time, you know, what are the topics? Like, what is the book going to teach me? It, it breaks down all these, just about every topic in personal finance that you could think of, but it applies technology to them. Well, I'll give you two things. One tip for your budget or for helping you manage your spending and habits and those sort of things is identify those most important things in life that really bring you joy and that you'd like. And it's okay. And you should spend time and money on those things because finding joy and fulfillment on a select few things. I'm not talking about buying a, you know, a fancy car every week or things that are outlandish. I'm just talking about simple things in life. If you can find your joy in those things, everything else is that much less intimidating. It's not that attractive anymore to spend money on other things. So believe it or not, here's the financial guy telling you to spend money in order to have a healthier relationship with it. Because I think if you spend it on the, the right things and it can, you know, in a reasonable way, you can be wiser and not be tempted by all those other things out there that the world tells us that we need. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, to be honest with you, it really kind of ties in with the life stuff also. In my expectation of writing the book was it to be kind of technical and I would have to try to sell people on how, how they should read it, even though it might be a little bit financially, technically boring. But to be honest with you, the book turned out not like that at all. There's lots of applicable stories in there. It's entertaining. And the major lesson is not just be wise with your money. I mean, that's important. But the major lesson in there actually is about relationships. 
And whether that's with your money, with technology, or ultimately interpersonal relationships with other people, those are by far the most important things in life to helping us feel healthy and happy. And so if you can have healthy relationships with your money and your technology and the other people in your life, you're going to be that much more capable of making a positive impact. And I think if we can all feel that way, we'll just be in a much better place. It'll be so much more enjoyable uh, to live in the world that we do. Awesome. Yes. Very true, Bob. Very true. I like your advice. I really do. That's awesome advice. See, ladies and gentlemen, you guys heard it first from Bob. His mouth to your ears. Now you guys can just think about it and check his book out. Check out his websites. You guys can check him out and everything that's Bobby. (laughs) I have his photo on my website under special guests. There will be a link to his website. So if you wanted to reach out or you wanted to connect to him, believe me, he has a lot of interesting topics. He has blogs. He has podcasts. He has other appearances in other podcasts. He has this great book that seems really interesting. If you really want to reframe your relationship with money and with finances and just your perspective. You know, this seems really interesting, especially for individuals who are, who have a bad relationship with money. You know, if you feel like you do have a bad relationship with money, why not check it out? Especially I seen it. It's on sale on his website. Go check it out. I'm telling you, the ebook is not worth the price. It's it's like robbing the man. (laughs) So go go check it out. And I'm promise you, you won't be disappointed. And that's it. That's our show, y'all. You guys take care and be safe. Bye.